Good evening and welcome to tonight's very special Halloween stream. <laughs> uh, we're going to do something special tonight like we did last Halloween. I don't know if you remember, we watched Night of the Living Dead. It was very choppy. I hope tonight's stream is not choppy. Once again, I forgot to unplug all of the Wi-Fi devices in the house. And that always helps to make things not so crazy, um, framey, or whatever you want to call it. I we're, we're all done for the evening. The kids went out trick-or-treating. And then we came back and we watched The Legend of Sleepy Hollow as well as the Donald Duck trick-or-treat Halloween short from like 1955. Maybe it's from 1952, I don't remember. Really wonderful short. And I figured instead of trying to do a choppy-ass you know, live stream that's probably going to get demonetized anyway, why not instead do something that we haven't done here in a while. We did it a little bit at the beginning of the year where we did, we read Return of Living Dead, which you can read, you can listen to on this channel. I've sort of turned it into a, what do you want to call it? A uh, audio book of sorts, like a video podcast audio book. Well, as you could tell, tonight's content is something similar, except... As you can see, I've lit some candles in the back. Those are electronic candles. Those aren't actually lit candles. And um, yeah, I, I I have selected a very special st short story that I have wanted to read on this channel for quite some time. It is super cool, super unique. It is basically, I don't know how to describe it. It's not fan fiction, but it's fiction told from it's a movie it's john carpenter's the thing legendary horror film everybody loves the thing but it's told from the perspective of the alien and i think it what a cool interesting idea right not to not just to sort of you know it's not making up something new per se it is just rehashing the story but from a completely different perspective i really like that a lot and so we're going to take a look at it i don't know how long it's going to take me to read this thing but i've committed to reading it for tonight we're starting a little bit earlier people probably are out doing halloween stuff and that's okay i i expect as much i expect as much just want to see if i am super frame framey or not i think i'm okay here can't tell you know what? I, I really can't worry about it. I can't worry about it. We just got to go roll with it. Oh, okay. So we are going to begin reading it. So this is called The Things, and it's obviously it's science fiction. Um, it's written by a guy named Peter Watts, and basically what it is is it's revisiting the universe of the 1982 version of The Thing by John Carpenter. Now, John Carpenter did not come up with the thing he himself was remaking it from a movie called the thing from another world which in turn is actually based on a short story in and of itself 
called Who Goes There by John W. Campbell. So what essentially you have is a short story that is a sort of a remix. It's a remix of a remake of a movie that's based on another short story, if that makes any sense. Hey, Ben, how are you? Happy Halloween. Welcome to the stream. I would sit here and, and munch on a bowl of Halloween candy, but I can't because I have a lot of reading to do. But I do have three seltzers lined up to help get the job done. Keep the, the whistle wet, as they say. Okay, let us begin our reading. I'm not, once I start reading, I might interject a thing or two, like I did with Return of the Living Dead. I'm not really going to be doing comments, you guys. This is more about reading the short story. So this is, like I said, think of this as like a spooky story on Halloween night. That is what we're doing. What's up, Amy? Happy Halloween to you as well. Hope you are enjoying your festivities and whatnot. Um, thanks for dropping by. So, okay, let us... Uh, oh, one other thing. So it was first published in Clark's World Magazine of January 2010. It's written... It's won a bunch of accolades. It was the 2011 Hugo Award nominee. It was the 2010 BSFA Award finalist. It, it won the 2010... Shirley Jackson Award, uh, and it was a 2011 finalist for the Locust Award for Best Short Story, as well as the 2011 Theodore Sturgeon Award nominee. So it won some stuff. It was nominated for a bunch of others. Nominations, in my opinion, are oh, or might as well be wins. It, it means that you are considered for the work. And the last thing I will say is that we did complete 31 Days of Halloween. I have two more videos to edit and and put up and those are going to come tomorrow on november 1st a little bit past schedule i know but it was a real slog this year i had fun but i think i might re revisit how i do 31 days of halloween this is this is our bonus cup of coffee if this was an all song or descendant song this is a bonus cup of the black coffee and I'm going to begin now. So like I said, I, I might highlight a comment, but I'm not going to acknowledge comments, I don't think, unless it's really important to do so. So please bear with me as we read here. And I apologize if I stumble over my words. As you know, I do from time to time, or at least I do when I read. Although I think maybe, I don't know. Let's Let's just dive into it now. Okay. I am being Blair. Remember, this is from the point of view of the alien. That's what we're reading. It's John Carpenter's The Thing, but from the point of view of the alien. I am being Blair. I escape out the back as the world comes in through the front. I am being Copper. I am rising from the dead. I am being Childs. I am guarding the main entrance. The names don't matter. They are placeholders. Nothing more. All biomass is interchangeable. What matters is that these are are all that is left of me. The world has burned everything else. I see myself through the window, looping through the storm, wearing Blair. McCready has told me to burn Blair if he comes back alone, but McCready still thinks that I, have, I am one of him. I am not. I am being Blair, and I am at the door. I am being Childs, and I let myself in. I take brief communion, tendrils writh writhing, writhing 
Forth from my faces intertwining, I am Blair Childs, exchanging news of the world. The world has found me out. It has discovered my burrow beneath the tool shed. The half-finished lifeboat cannibalized from the viscera of dead helicopters. The world is busy destroying my means of escape. Then it will come back for me. There's only one option left. I disintegrate. Being Blair, I go to share the plan with Copper and to feed on the rotting biomass once called Clark. So many changes in so short a time have dangerously depleted my reserves. Being childs, I have already consumed what was left of Fox, and I am replenished for the next phase. I sling the flamethrower onto my back and head outside into the, low, the long Antarctic night. I will go into the storm, and I will never come back. I was so much more before the crash. I was an explorer, an ambassador, a missionary. I spread across the cosmos, met countless worlds, took communion. The, the fit reshaped the unfit, and the whole universe bootstrapped upwards in joyful, infinitesimal increments. I was a soldier at war with entropy itself. I was the very hand by which creation perfects itself. By the way, when it uses the word communion, it's referring to when it, you know, obviously meshes its, meshes its alien form with, when it bonds with other creatures, when it assimilates and takes things over. Just thought I should mention that. So much wisdom I had, so much experience, and now I cannot remember all the things I knew. I can only remember that I once knew them. I remember the crash, though. It killed most of this offshoot outright, but a little crawled from the wreckage, a few trillion cells, a soul too weak to keep them in check. Mutinous biomass slothed off despite my most desperate attempts to hold myself together. Panic-stricken little clots of meat instinctively growing Whenever limbs, whatever limbs they could remember and fleeing across the burning ice. By the time I had regained control of what was left, the fires had died and the cold was closing back in. I barely managed to grow enough antifreeze to keep my sails from bursting before the ice took me. I remember my reawakening too, dull stirrings of sensation in real time. The first embers of cog of cognition of cog cognic whatever cognizant cognizant cognition, the slow blooming warmth of awareness as body and soul embraced after their long sleep. I remember the bioped offshoots surrounding me, the strange chittering sounds they made, the odd uniformity of their body parts, how ill adapted they looked, how inefficient their morphology even disabled i could see so many things to fix so i reached out i took communion i tasted the flesh of the world and the world attacked me it attacked me i left the place in ruins it was on the other side of the mountains the norwegian camp it is called here and i could have never crossed the distance in a biped skin 
Fortunately, there was another shape to choose from, smaller than the biped, but better adapted to the local climate. I had within it, I had I hid within it while the rest of me fought off the attack. I fled into the night on four legs and let the rising flames cover my escape. I did not stop running until I arrived here. I walked among these new offshoots wearing the skin of the quadruped. And because they had not seen me take any other shape, they did not attack. And when I assimilated them in turn, when my biomass changed and flowed into shapes unfamiliar to local eyes, I took that communion in solitude, having learned that the world does not like what it does not know. I am alone in the storm. I am a bottom dweller on the floor of some murky alien sea. The snow blows past the horizontal streaks caught against gullies or outcroppings. It spins into blinding little whirlwinds. But I am not nearly far enough, not yet. Looking back, I still see the camp crouched brightly in the gloom, a squat angular jumble of light and shadow, a, bump, a bubble of warmth in the hollowing abyss. It plunges into darkness as I watch. I've blown the generator. Now there's no light, but for the beacons along the guide ropes, strings of dim blue stars whipping back and forth in the wind, emergency constellations to guide lost biomass back home. I am not going home. I'm not lost enough. I forge on into the darkness until even the stars disappear. The faint shadows of angry, frightened men carry behind me in the wind. Somewhere behind me, my disconnected biomass regroups in vaster, more powerful shapes for the final confrontation. I could have joined myself all in one, chosen unity over fragmentation, resorbed and take reabsorbed, I think that's meant to be, and taken comfort in the greater whole. I could have added my strength to the coming battle. But I have chosen a different path. I am saving child's reserves for the future. The present holds nothing but annihilation. Best not to think on the past. I spent so very long in the ice already. I didn't know how long until the world put the clues together, deciphered the notes and the tapes from the Norwegian camp, pinpointed the crash site. I was being Palmer then, unsuspected. I went along for the ride. I even allowed myself the smallest ration of hope. But it wasn't a ship anymore. It wasn't even a derelict. It was a fossil embedded in the floor of a great pit blown from the glacier. Twenty of these skins could have stood atop one another and barely reached the lip of that crater. The time scale settled down on me like the weight of a world. How long for all that ice to accumulate? How many eons? had the universe iterated on without me. And in all that time, a million years perhaps, there had been no rescue. I never found myself. I wonder what that means. I wonder if I even exist anymore anywhere but here. Back at camp, I will erase the trail. I will give them their final battle, their monster to vanquish. Let them win. Let them stop looking. Here in the storm, I will return to the ice. 
I've barely even been away after all, alive for only a few days out of all these endless ages. But I've learned enough in that time. I learned from the wreck that there will be no repairs. I learned from the ice that there will be no rescue. And I learned from the world that there will be no reconciliation. The only hope of escape now is into the future to outlast all this hostile, twisted biomass, to let time and the cosmos change the rules. Perhaps the next time I awaken, this will be a different world. It will be eons before I see another sunrise. This is what the world taught me. This adaptation is provocation. Adaptation is incitement to violence. It feels almost obscene, an offense against creation itself, to stay stuck in the skin. It's so ill-suited to its environment that it needs to be wrapped in multi-layers of fabric just to stay warm. There are a myriad of ways I could optimize it. Shorter limbs, better insulation, a lower surface volume ratio, all these shapes I still have within me, and I dare not use any of them, even to keep out of the cold. I dare not adapt in this place. I can only hide. What kind of world rejects communion? It is the simplest, most irreductible insight that biomass can have. The more you can change, the more you can adapt. Adaptation is fitness. Adaptation is survival. It is deeper than intelligence, deeper than tissue. It is cellular. It is, I can't pronounce this word, it's axiomatic. And more, it is pleasurable. To take communion is to experience the sheer sensual delight of bettering the cosmos. And yet, even trapped in these maladapted skins, this world doesn't want to change. At first, I thought maybe, <clears throat> at first, I thought it might simply be starving, that these icy wastes didn't provide enough energy for routine shape shifting. Or perhaps this was some kind of laboratory, an anomalous corner of the world, pinched off and frozen in these freakish shapes as part of some arcane experiment on monomorphism in extreme environments. After the autopsy, I wondered if the world had simply forgotten how to change. Unable to touch the tissues, the soul could not sculpt them. And time and stress and sheer chronic starvation had erased the memory that it ever could. Um, that time... That at time and stress and sheer chronic starvation had erased the memory that it ever could. But there were too many mysteries, too many contradictions. Why these particular shapes so badly suited to their environment? If the soul was cut off from the flesh, what held the flesh together? And how could these skins be so empty when I moved in? I'm used to finding intelligence everywhere, winding through every part of every offshoot. But there was nothing to grab onto in the mindless biomass of this world, just conduits carrying orders and input. I took communion when it wasn't offered. The skins I chose struggled and succumbed. 
My, my fibrils infiltrated the wet electricity of organic systems everywhere. I saw through eyes that weren't yet quite mine, commandeered motor nerves to move limbs still built of alien protein. I wore these skins as I've worn countless others, took the controls and left the assimilation of individual cells to follow at its own pace. But I could only wear the body. I could find no memories to absorb, no experiences, no comprehension. Survival depended on blending in, and it was not enough to merely look like this world. I had to act like it. And for the first time in living memory, I did not know how. Even more frighteningly, I didn't have to. The skins I assimilated continued to move all by themselves. They conversed and went about their appointed rounds. I could not understand it. I threaded further into the limbs and viscera with each passing moment, alert for signals of the original owner. I could find no networks but mine. Of course, it could have been much worse. I could have lost it all, been reduced to a few cells with nothing but instinct in their own plasticity to guide them. I would have grown back eventually, reattained sentience, taken communion and regenerated an intellect vast as a world. But I would have been an orphan amnesiac with no sense of who I was. At least I've been spared that. I emerged from the crash with my identity intact. The templates of a thousand worlds still resonate in my flesh. I've retained not just the brute desire to survive, but the conviction that survival is meaningful. I can still find joy should there be sufficient cause. And yet, how much more there used to be. The wisdom of so many other worlds lost. All that remains are fuzzy abstracts, half memories of theorems and philosophies far too vast to fit into such an improvised network. I could assimilate all the biomass of this place, rebuild body and soul to a million times the capacity of what crashed here. But as long as I am trapped at the bottom of this well, denied communion with my greater self, I will never recover that knowledge. I'm such a pitiful fragment of what I was. Each lost cell takes a little of my intellect with it, and I have grown so very small. Where once I thought, now I merely react. How much of this could have been avoided if I had only salvaged a little bit more biomass from the wreckage? How many options am I not seeing because my soul simply isn't big enough to contain them? The world spoke to itself in the same way I do with my communications. Our simple, uh, the world spoke to itself in the same way I do when my communications are simple enough to convey without semantic fusion, somatic fusion. Even as dog, I could pick up the basic signature morphemes. This offshoot was Windows. That one was Bennings. The two who had left in that flying machine for parts unknown were Copper and McGreedy. And I marveled that these bits and pieces stayed isolated from one another, held the same shapes for so long that labeling of individual aliquots of biomass actually served a useful purpose. 
Later, I hid within the biopeds themselves, and whenever and whatever else looked lurked in those haunted skins began to talk to me. It said that the biopeds were called guys or men or assholes. It said that McCready was some kind was sometimes called Mac. It said that this collection of structures was called a camp. It said that it wasn't afraid, but maybe that it was just me. Empathy is inevitable, of course. One can't mimic the sparks and chemicals that motivate the flesh without also feeling them to some extent. But this was different. These intuitions flickered within me, yet somehow hovered beyond reach. My skins wandered the halls and the cryptic symbols on every surface. Laundry shed. Welcome to the clubhouse. This side up. Almost made a kind of sense. That circular artifact hanging on the wall was a clock. It measured the passage of time. The world's eyes flitted here and there, and I skimmed piecemeal nomenclature from his mind. But I was only riding a searchlight. I see what it illuminated, but I could not point it in any direction of my own choosing. I could eavesdrop, but I could only eavesdrop, never interrogate. If only one of those searchlights had paused to dwell on its own evolution, on the trajectory that had brought it to this place. How different things might have ended had I only known. But instead, it rested on a new word, autopsy. McCready and Copper found part of me at the Norwegian camp. A, re, a, a rear guard, a rear guard offshoot burned in the wake of my escape. They had brought it back, charred, twisted, frozen in mid-transformation, and did not seem to know what it was. I was being Palmer then, and Norris, and Dog. I gathered around with the other biomass and watched as Copper cut me open and put, pulled out my insides. I watched as he dislodged something from behind my eyes, an organ of some kind. It was malformed and incomplete, but its essentials were clear enough. It looked like a great wrinkled tumor, like a cellular competition gone wild, as though the very process that divined life had somehow turned against it instead. It was obscenely vascularized. It must have consumed oxygen and nutrients far out of proportion to its mass. I could not see how anything like that could even exist. How could it have reached that size without being outcompeted by more efficient morphologies? Nor could I imagine what it did. But then I began to look at it with new eyes, at these offshoots, these biped shapes my own cells had so scrupulous, scrupulously and unthinkingly copied when they reshaped me for this world. Unused, to inventory what catalog body parts that only turn into other things at the slightest provocation. I really saw for the first time that swollen structure atop each body, so much larger than it should be, a bony hemisphere in which a million ganglionic interfaces could fit with room to spare. Every offshoot had one. Every piece of biomass carried one of these huge twisted clots of tissue. 
I realized something else too. The eyes, the ears of my dead skin had fed into this thing before copper pulled it free. A massive bundle of fibers ran along the skin's long longitudinal axis right up the middle of the endoskeleton directly into the dark, sticky cavity where the growth had rested. That misshapen structure had been wired into the whole skin. It was some kind of somatocognitive interface, but vastly more massive. It was almost as if, no, that was how it worked. That was how these empty skins moved to their own volition. What I had found, why I had found no other network to integrate. There, there it was, not disturbed throughout the body, but bailed, but balled itself up, dark and dense, and in, insisted. I had found the ghost in these machines. I felt sick. I shared my flesh with thinking cancer. So it's really interesting how at first the way that this creature thinks is very different from the way humans think. And it's discovered that humans thought center is in its brain and it's, it's disgusted. It's, it's actually disgusted by human, by the human anatomy and couldn't figure out why it was hiding elsewhere in the body, but could not talk to the body. It had to go to the brain to do so. Interesting. <clears throat> that was how it worked. That's how those empty skins move of their own volition. What I found why I'd found no network to integrate. There it was, not disturbed throughout the body, but balled up into itself and dense and insisted. I had found the ghost in these machines. I felt sick. I shared my flesh with thinking cancer. Sometimes even hiding is not enough. I remember seeing myself splayed across the floor of a kennel, a chimera split along a hundred seams, taking communion with a handful of dogs. Crimson tendrils writhing writhed on the floor. Half-formed iterations sprouted from my flanks, the shapes of dogs and things not seen before on this world. Haphazard morphologies, half-remembered by parts of a part. So that's what's so fascinating about, you know, this iteration of the story. The alien creature that, like, morphs all weird and crazy does it in part for adaptation, but also does it because it's super confused and does not really sort of remember any sort of cohesive form. So it's acting in a very confused manner, And that's why it, there's so much chaos when the creature, you know, uh, changes around metamorphosizes, whatever you want to call it. I remember childs before I was childs burning me alive. I remember cowering inside Palmer, terrified that those flames might turn on the rest of me. And this world had somehow learned to shoot on sight. I remember seeing myself stagger through the snow, raw instinct, wearing bennings, gnarled, undifferentiated clumps clung to his hands like crude parasites. More outside than in, a few surviving fragments of some previous massacre, crippled, mindless, talking what they could and breaking cover. Men swarmed about him in the night, red flares in hand, blue lights at their backs, their faces biochromatic and beautiful. I remember Benning's awash in flames, howling like an animal beneath the sky. I remember Norris betrayed by his own perfectly copied defective heart, 
Palmer dying that the rest of me might live. Windows still human burned preemptively. The names don't matter. The biomass does so much of it lost so much new experience, so much fresh wisdom annihilated by this world of thinking tumors. So he thinks of the human brain as a tumor. Why even dig me up? Why carve me from the ice, carry me all the way across the wastes, bringing me back to life, if only to attack me the moment I awoke? If eradication was the goal, then why not just kill me where I lay? Those in those in cysted souls, those tumors hiding away in their bony caverns, folding in on themselves. I knew that they couldn't hide forever. This monstrous anatomy had once slowly had only slowed communion. Sorry. I know they couldn't hide forever. This monstrous autonomy had only slowed communion, not stopped it. Every morning I grew a little. I could feel myself twinning around Palm's motor wiring, sniffing upstream along a million tiny currents. I could see, I could sense my infiltration of the dark thinking mass behind Blair's eyes. Imagine, of course, it's all reflex that far down, unconscious and immune to micromanagement. And yet a part of me wanted to stop while there was still time. I'm used to incorporating souls, not rooming with them. This, this compartmentalization was unprecedented. I have assimilated a thousand worlds stronger than this, but never one so strange. What would happen when I met the spark in the tumor? Who would assimilate who? Oops, I almost spilled my seltzer everywhere and I freaked out. I was being three men by now. The world was growing wary, but I hadn't noticed yet. Even the tumors in the skins I had taken didn't notice how close I was. For that, I could only be grateful. The, that creation has rules. That some things don't change no matter what shape you take. It does not matter whether a soul spreads through the skin or festers in the grotesque isolation. It still runs on electricity. The memories of men still took time to gel, to pass through whatever gatekeepers filtered noise from, from signal and a judicious burst of static. However, indiscriminate still cleared those caches catches before their contents could be stored permanently clear enough, at least to let these tumors simply forget that something else moved in, uh, or simply forget that something else moved their arms and legs on occasion. At first, I only took control when the skins closed their eyes and their searchlights flickered disconcertingly across unreal imaginary patterns that flowed senselessly into one another like hyperactive biomass, unable to single on a settle, unable to settle on a single shape. Dreams, one searchlight told me, a little later, nightmares. During those mysterious periods of dormancy, when the men lay inert and isolated, it was safe to come out. Soon, through the dreams, soon though, the dreams dried up, all eyes stayed open all the time, fixed on shadows and each other. Offshoots, once dispersed throughout the camp, began to draw together. 
to give up their solitary pursuits in favor of company. At first, I thought they might be finding common ground in a common fear. I even hoped that finally they might shake off their mysterious fossilization and take communion. But no, they just stopped trusting anything they couldn't see. They were merely turning against each other. My extremities are begin to, beginning to numb. My thoughts slow as the distal reaches of my soul succumb to the chill. The weight of the flamethrower pulls at its harness, forever tugs me just a little bit off balance. I have not been childs for very long. Almost half this tissue remains unassimilated. I have an hour, maybe two, before I start melting my grave into the ice. By that time, I need to have converted enough cells to keep the whole skin from crystallizing. I focus on antifreeze production. It's almost peaceful out there. There have been so there's been so much to take in and so little time to process it. Hiding in these skins takes such concentration, and under all those watchful eyes, I was lucky if communion lasted long enough to exchange memories. Compounding my soul would have been out of the question. Now, though, there's nothing to do but prepare for oblivion. Nothing to occupy me through, sorry, nothing to occupy my thoughts, but all these lessons left unlearned. McCready's blood test, for example, his thing detector to expose imposters posing as men. It does not work nearly as well as the world thinks, but the fact that it works at all violates the most basic rules of biology. It is the center of the puzzle. It is the answer to all mysteries. I might have already figured it out if I had been just a little larger. I might have already known the world if the world wasn't trying so hard to kill me. McGreedy's test. Either it is impossible or I've been wrong about everything. They did not change shape. They did not take communion. Their fear and mutual mistrust was growing, but they would not join souls. They would only look out for the enemy outside themselves. So I gave them something to find. I left false clues in the camp's rudimentary computer, simple-minded icons and animations, misleading numbers and projects seasoned with just enough truth to convince the world of their veracity. It didn't matter that the machine was far too simple to perform such calculations. Or that there were no that there were no data to base them on anyway. Blair was the only biomass likely to know that he was already mine. I left false leads, destroyed real ones, and then, alibi in peace, I released Blair to run amok. I even let him steal into the night and smash the vehicles as they slept, lugging ever so slightly at his reins to ensure that certain vital compounds were spared. I set him loose in the radio room, watched through his eyes and others as he rampaged and destroyed. I listened as he ranted about a world in danger. He needed to, he, the need for containment, the conviction that most of you don't know what's going on around here, but I damn well do, do know uh, that some of you do. Boom. 
my neck is starting to get a little stiff here. He meant every word. I saw it in his searchlight. The best forgeries are the ones who've forgotten that they aren't real. When the necessary damage was done, I let Blair fall to McGrady's counter-assault. As Norris, I suggested that the tool shed as a I suggest use the tool shed as a holding cell. As Palmer and I boarded up the windows, helped with the flimsy fortifications expected to keep me contained. Uh, I watched while the world locked me away for your own protection. Blair and Blair, look, I can't read that sentence. I'm starting to fade here, guys. Um, I watched while the world locked me away for your own protection, Blair, and left me to my own devices. When no one was looking, I would change and slip outside, salvage the parts I need from all that bruised machinery. I would take them back to my burrow beneath the shed and build my escape piece by piece. I volunteered to free the prisoner and came to myself when the world wasn't watching laden with supplies enough to keep me going through all the necessary metamorphoses. I went through a third of the camp's food stores in three days and still trapped in my own preconce preconceptions marveled at the starvation diet that kept these offshoots chained to a single skin. Another piece of luck. The world was too preoccupied to worry about kitchen inventory. Hmm. Um, there's something on the wind, a whisper threading its way above the raging storm. I grow my ears, extend cups of near frozen tissue from the sides of my head, uh, turning like a living antenna in search of the best reception Ah, there to my left, the abyss grows a little. Silhouettes, black swirling snow against the subtle lessening of the darkness. I hear the sounds of carnage. I hear myself. I do not know what shape I have taken, what sort of anatomy might be emitting those sounds, but I've worn enough skins on enough worlds to know pain when I hear it. The battle is not going well. The battle is going as planned. Now it is time to turn away, to go to sleep. It is time to wait out the ages. I lean into the wind. I move toward the light. This is not the plan, but I think I have an answer now. I think I may have had it even before I sent myself back into exile. It's not an easy thing to admit, even though I don't fully understand it. How long have I been out here retelling the tale to myself, setting clues in order while my skin dies by lower degrees? How long have I been able, how long have I been circulating this obvious impossible truth? I move towards the faint crackling of flames, the dull concussion of exploding ordinance more felt than heard. The void lightens before me. Gray segs into yellow, yellow into orange. One diffuses brightness, resolves. One diffuse brightness resolves into many. A long burning wall, miraculously standing. 
the smoke skeleton of McGreedy's shack on the hill. A cracked, smoldering hemisphere reflecting pale yellow in the flickering light. uh, Child's searchlight calls it a radio dome. The whole camp is gone. There's nothing left but flames and rubble. They can't survive without shelter, not for long, not in these skins. It destroyed me. They've destroyed themselves. Things could have turned out so much differently if I had never been Norris. Norris was the weak node. Biomass not only ill-shaped, but defective. An offshoot with which an offshoot, an offshoot within an offshoot. Um, I'm starting to really fade here. An offshoot with an off switch. The world knew. The world knew had gone. The world knew had known so long. It never even thought about it anymore. It wasn't until Norris collapsed that heart condition floated to the surface of Copper's mind where I could see it. It wasn't until Cooper was astride that Norton that Norris's chest tried to prop him back to life, tried to pound him back to life. That I knew how it would end. And by then it was too late. Norris had stopped breathing. Sorry, Norris had stopped being Norris. He hadn't even stopped being me. I have so many roles to play, so little choice in any of them. The part of being Cooper brought down the paddles or the path that had been Norris. Such a faithful Norris. Every cell so scrupulously assimilated, every part of that faulty valve reconstructed unto perfection i hadn't known how was i to know these shapes within me the world and the morphologies i've assimilated over the eons i've only ever used them to adapt before never to hide this desperate mimicry 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 uh, was an improvised thing a last resort in the face of a world that attacked anything unfamiliar. My cells are my cells read the signs and my cells conformed mindless as prions, prions, pro proons. I don't know what that word says. So that so I became Norris and Norris self-destructed. I remember losing myself after the crash. I know how it feels to degrade tissues in revolt. The desperate efforts to reassert control as static from some misfiring organ jams the signal. To be a network seceding from itself. To know that each moment I am less than I was a moment before. To become nothing. To become legion. Being copper, I could see it. I still don't know why the world didn't. Its parts had long since turned against each other by then. Every offshoot suspected every other. Surely there were alert signs for of infection. Surely some of that biomass would have noticed, and the subtle twi- twitch and ripple of Norris charging below the surface, the last instinctive resort, was a wild was a wild of tissues abandoned abandoning their own devices. 
guys, I'm starting to literally pass out as I read this. <laughs> oh, are you enjoying the story so far? I am enjoying it. I'm just fading. I can see myself fading. I'm going to take a long break once this is done. I, I need to just, just take a break. I got some reruns planned. <clears throat> All right, let's keep going. Sorry. Woo, 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 woo. Uh, but I was the only one who saw. Being childs, I could only stand and watch. Being copper, I could only make it worse. If I take in direct control, force that skin to drop the paddles, I would have given myself away. And so I played my parts to the end. I slammed those resurrection paddles down as Norris' chest, chest split open beneath them. I screamed on cue as serrated teeth from a hundred stars away snapped shut. I toppled backwards, arms bitten off above the wrist. Men swarmed, agitation, agitation, bootstrapping to panic. McCready aimed his weapon. Flames leaped across the enclosure. Meat and machinery screamed in the heat. I mean, it, this is so, it really is a, a awesome reimagining retelling of the entire story, but from the perspective and basically the explanation here is that the creature just does not know or is, you know, purposely hiding itself from even itself uh, working as a team and, you know, working against each other uh, depending on what serves the, the alien, the alien, the best at that time. Copper's tumor winked out beside me. The world would never have let it live anyway, not after such obvious contamination. I let out, I let our skin play dead on the floor wall overhead. Something that had once been me shattered and writhed, writhed, I can never say that word, writhed <laughs> and iterated through a myriad random through a myriad of random templates searching desperately for something fireproof. So that's what that's what's being used to explain the all the crazy changing. It's going through its its Rolodex to find the right adaptation for that time. They have destroyed themselves. They such an insane world to apply such an insane word to apply to a world. Something crawls towards me through the wreckage, a jagged, oozing jigsaw of blackened meat and shattered, half-reabsorbed bone. Embers stick to its sides like bright, searing eyes. It does not have the strength enough to scrape them free. It contains barely half the mass of this child's skin, much of it burnt to raw carbon. It is already dead. What's left of Childs, almost asleep, thinks, motherfucker, but I am being him now. I can carry the tune myself. The mass extends a pseudopod towards me, a final act of communion. I feel my pain. I was Blair. I was Copper. I was even a scrap of dog that survived that first fiery massacre and holed up in the walls with no food and no strength to regenerate. Then I gorged on unassimilated flesh, consumed instead of communed, revived and replenish. I drew together as one. And yet, not quite. I can barely remember. So much was destroyed. So many mem so much memory was lost. 
But I think the networks recovered from my different skins stayed just a little out of sync, even re re reunited in the same Soma. I glimpse a half-corrupted memory of a dog erupting from the greater self, ravenous and traumatized and determined to retain its individuality. I remember rage and frustration that this world had so corrupted me that I could barely fit together again. But it did not matter. I was more than Blair and Copper and Dog. I was a giant with the shapes of the world's to choose from more than a match for it, the last lone man who stood against me. No match, though, for the dynamite is in his hand. Now I'm a little more than pain and fear and charred sticking flesh, stinking flesh. What sentience I have is a wash and confusion. I am stray and disconnected thoughts doubts the ghosts of theories i am realizations too late in coming and already forgotten the writing is really good and really the the best part is the 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 writer has found the the pov voice of the alien so well but i am also childs and as the wind eases at last i remember wondering who assimilates who the snow tapers off and i remember an impossible test that stripped me naked the tumor inside me remembers it too. I can see it in the last rays of its fading searchlight. And finally, at long last, that beam is pointed inwards. It's pointed at me. I can barely see what it illuminates. Parasite, monster, disease, thing. How little it knows. It knows even less than I do. I know enough, you motherfucker. You stole, you soul stealing, shit eating, R A P I S T. I don't know what that means. There is violence in those thoughts and the forcible penetration of flesh, but underneath it all is something else I can't quite understand. I almost ask, but child's searchlight has finally gone out. Now there's nothing here but me, nothing outside but fire and ice in darkness i am being childs and the storm is over now in a world that gave meaningless names to interchangeable bits of biomass one name truly mattered and that was mccready mccready was always the one in charge the very concept still seems absurd in charge how can this world not see the folly of hierarchies? One bullet in a vital spot and the Norwegian dies forever. One blow to the head and Blair is unconscious. Centralization is vulnerability and yet the world is not content to build its biomass on such a fra fragile template. It forces the same model onto its meta systems as well. McCready talks, the others obey. It is a system with a built-in kill spot. This is a very iconic scene from the movie that's being reiterated here. Ooh, my Lord. And yet somehow McGreedy stayed in charge. Even after the world discovered, by the way, the world is obviously the group, but to him it's the world. Even after the world 
discovered the evidence I planted, even after it decided that McGreedy was one of those things, locked him out to die in the storm, attacked him with fire and axes when he fought his way back inside. Somehow, McGreedy always had the gun, always had the flamethrower, always had the dynamite, and the willingness to take out the whole damn camp if need be. Clark was the last to try and stop him. Greedy shot him through the tumor. Kill spot. Shot him through the tumor. Shot him through the head. That's what happens in the uh, during that, that long, epic, iconic scene. It was a kill spot. But when Norris split into pieces, each scuttling instinctively for its own life, McGreedy was the one that put them back together. I was so sure of myself when he talked about his fest. He tied me up. He tied up all the biomass, tied me up more times than he knew. And I almost felt a kind of pity as he spoke. He forced windows to cut us all, to take uh, a little blood from each of us. He heated up the tip of a metal wire until it glowed, and he spoke of pieces small enough to give themselves away. Pieces that embodied instinct, but no intelligence, no self-control. McGreedy had wandered, had watched Norris in dissolution, and he decided men's blood would not react to the application of heat mine would break ranks when provoked of course though these offshoots had forgotten that they could change i wonder how the world would react if every piece of biomass in the room was revealed as a shapeshifter when mccready's small experiment ripped the facade from the greater one and forced these twisted fragments to comfort to confront the truth. Why would the world awaken from its long amnesia finally remember that it lived and breathed and changed like everyone else? Or was it too far gone? Would McCready simply burn each protesting offshoot in turn as its blood turned traitor? I couldn't believe it when McCready pulled the hot wire into Windows blood and nothing happened. Some kind of trick, I thought. Are these... Um, and then McGreedy's blood pressure test and Clark's. Cooper's didn't. The needle went in and Cooper's blood shivered just a little in its dish. I barely saw it myself. The men didn't reach out at all. They didn't even notice. They must have attributed it to the trembling of McCready's own hand. They thought a test was a crock of shit anyway, being childs. I even said as much. Because it was too astonishing, too terrifying to admit that it wasn't. Being childs, I know that there was hope. Blood is not soul. I may control the motor systems, but assimilation takes time. If copper's blood was raw enough to pass to pass muster, then it would be an hour before I had anything to fear from this test. I had been a child for even less time. Oof. But I was also Palmer. I had been Palmer for days. Every last cell of that biomass had been assimilated. There was nothing of the original left. 
when Palmer's blood screamed and leapt away from McCready's needle, there was nothing I could do but blend in. I have been wrong about everything. Starvation, experiment, illness, all my speculation, all the theories I invoked to explain this place. Top-down constraint, all of it. Underneath, I knew the ability to change, to assimilate, had to remain a universal constant. No world ever evolves if the cells if the cells do not the cells if the cells do not evolve no cells evolve if it cannot change it is the nature of life oh my god i'm literally gonna pass out right now ah come on jeff keep it going what's up stoker happy halloween brian happy halloween chris happy halloween happy halloween all hope you have your silver shamrock masks ready this world did not forget how to change. Oops. This world did not forget how to change. It was not manipulated into rejecting change. These were not stunted offshoots of any great self, uh, self twisted to the needs of some experiment. They were not conserving energy, waiting out some temperature shortage. This is the option my shriveled soul continued, could not encompass until now. Of all the worlds of my experience, this is the only one whose biomass can't change. It never could. It's the only way McCready's test makes any sense. I say goodbye to Blair, to Chopper, to myself. I reset my morphology to its loca local defaults. I am Childs. Come back from the storm to find, to finally make the pieces fit. Something moves up ahead, a dark blot shifting against the flames. Some weary animal looking for a place to bend down. It looks up as I approach. MacReady? McGreedy. We eye each other and keep our distance. Colonies of cells un uh, shift. Un uh, oh my God, I can't read. Shift uneasily inside of me. I can feel my tissues redefining themselves. You're the only one who made it. Not the only one. I have the flamethrower. I have the upper hand. McGreedy doesn't seem to care, but he does care. He must, because here, tissues and organs are not temporary battlefield alliances. They are permanent, predestined. Microstructures, macrostructures do not emerge. When the benefits of cooperation exceeds its cost or dissolution. When that balance shifts the other way, here each here each cell has bit, has but one immutable function. There's no plasticity, no way to adopt it. Every structure is frozen in place. This is not a single great world, but many small ones, no parts of a greater thing. These are things. They are plural. And that means I think they stop. They just wear they just just wear out over over time. Where were you, childs? I remember words in dead searchlights. Thought I saw Blair, went out after him, got lost in the storm. 
I've worn these bodies, felt them from the inside. Cooper's stores joints. Cooper's sore joints. Blair's curved spine. Norris and his bad heart. They are not built to last. No somatic evolution to shaping them. No communion to restore the biomass and starve off entropy. They should not even exist. Existing, they should not survive. They try, though. How they try. Everything here is walking dead, and yet it all fights so hard to keep it going just a little bit longer. Each skin fights as desperate as I might if one was all I could ever have. McCready tries. If you're worried about me, I began. McCready shakes his head, manages a weary smile. If we got any surprises for each other, I don't think we're in much, much shape to do anything about it. But where are... But we are, I am. But we are, I am. A whole planet of worlds, and not one of them, not one, has a soul. They wandered through their lives separate and alone, unable to even communicate except through grunts and tokens. Oops, I lost my place. I lost my place. Where is my place? I lost it. No. The paradox of their biology is astonishing. Yes, but the scale of their loneliness, the futility of them, these lives overwhelms me. I was so blind, so quick to blame, but the voice I've suffered at the hands of these things reflects no great evil. They're simply so used to pain, so blinded by disability that they literally can't conceive of any other existence. What every nerve is when every nerve is whipped raw, you lash out and even the lightest touch. You lash out at even the lightest touch. What should we do? I wonder. I cannot escape into the future not knowing what I now know. How could I? Know now. I leave them like this. Why don't we just wait here a while, McCready suggests, and see what happens. I could do so much more than that. It won't be easy. They won't understand. Tortured, incomplete. They're not able to understand the underground. <laughs> what? What am I saying right now? Offered the greater whole. They see the loss of the lesser offered the communion they see only extinction i must be careful i must use this newfound ability to hide other things will come here eventually and it doesn't matter whether they find the living or the dead what matters is that they found something like themselves to take back home so i will keep up appearances i will work behind the scenes i will save them from the inside or their unimaginable loneliness will never end. I will work behind the scenes. I will save them from the inside where their unimaginable loneliness will never end. These poor savage things will never embrace salvation. 
I will have to R-A-P-E it into them. The end. Woo! And there you have it, folks. The whole kitten caboodle. Tonight's show is brought to you by Riot Stickers. That's right. Riot Stickers, the official sponsor of the From Us channel. Woo! Like that? Like my throwing, my throwing stars? These stickers have a UV coating that protects them from the sun. They're also printed on vinyl, which is really good for waterproof action. They also got banners, all sorts of stuff. Sharpie prints up a lot of stuff. Um, we don't. We have a special deal running with them. Instead of a thousand stickers for seventy nine dollars. Sorry, <laughs> I, guys. Long night or long day. Um, we have a special deal running. It's a thousand stickers for seventy nine dollars. That's what I meant to say. Seven cents a sticker. Okay, you're not going to find that deal anywhere else. That's seven cents a sticker. Only at the website in the description or the link below. Okay, so you can see it right here. Riotstickers.com backslash from us you go to that link which again is in the description click on it and that will take you to the promotion you're not going to be able to get it anywhere else on their website you have to go to ridestickers.com backslash from us it's the only way to do it and then we will wrap things up a little post-war i'm gonna do a 60 second commercial break thank you Okay, so that was a fun read. It was really, really fun, right? Oh, you know, I just realized I didn't share the screen. <laughs> Probably should have done that. Yeah, that was really fun. And like I said, you know, it's fun to see things from the alien's perspective. We're seeing the entire movie, but from his side and the motivations. And I kind of like, I would love to see, there's a lot of, you know, antagonistic, monstrous elements, whatever you want to call them. Um, whose point of views might make them more interesting. I mean, in this case, the motivations of the alien are, you know, not really evil. It doesn't look when it consumes and assimilates. It doesn't think of that as evil. It does it because that's what it does. It's older. It's very old. It was very knowledgeable and it was a very big thing. And now it's been, it's on the brink of extinction and, you know, <laughs> gets new resolved when it realizes that it could really, you know, help these simplistic creatures see, see cosmically or whatever you want to call it. Um, Yeah, that concludes our October, right? It's about to end. It's a lot of fun. I'm exhausted. 
I got two more shows to upload tomorrow, two more episodes, so we'll do that. And once that is done, that that will be it for Halloween, for our Halloween blowout. I'm going to watch some movies, but I'm really going to, I'm going to catch up on some TV shows. There's a lot of good stuff to catch up on. What's up, Minister of Darkness, Happy Halloween, Stoker, Happy Halloween, Brian, Happy Halloween. We said happy Halloween to Chris, happy Halloween to Matt, to Amy, happy Halloween, and Ben. This was like our version of the Orson Welles War, War of the Worlds on the day before Halloween. Um, what, what short story should I read next? I have some stuff in mind. We'll do it. We'll do all of it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Keep your eyes peeled for the next part of Erie Vaughn. A lot of stuff coming up the pike for Patreons and YouTube subscribers. Last thing I'll say, if you enjoy this content, please consider uh, supporting the channel. Buy a cup of coffee. Check out the t-shirt shop. Anything, any of that sort of support helps. And if you can't, a like and a share and a subscribe. And just watching the channel are so awesome. And I appreciate you all. So I want to wish you a very happy Halloween. Thank you for coming to our Halloween special tonight. And I'll play out with the Patreon. Peace and hair grease. Hey guys, what's going on? It's Jeff. So I've decided to make a Patreon. What is Patreon? I don't know how to define a Patreon. Let me look it up. Patreon is a membership platform that makes it very easy for creators to get paid for the things that they're already creating. I want to do it full-time. I want this to be my full-time job. In my efforts to make that happen, I've set up this platform. Is it going to work? Is it gonna be successful? I don't know, but I would rather try and crash and burn than not try at all. The goal is to create enough passive revenue so that I can continue to do this full-time uninterrupted. Why? Because I love to do this. I love creating content. I love making videos. I love shooting films. I love doing podcasts. In case you couldn't tell, I love to talk and I never shut the fuck up. <laughs> so right now I've kept the Patreon incredibly simple. There's two tiers and that may change in the future. The Murdergram is a simple way to extend support for all of the hours and hours of free content on the channel for nothing more than a dollar. 38 cents goes to Patreon. What's a buck 38, eh? It's less than a cup of coffee. But it's a great way that you can show support for very little effort. When you divide that $1.38 by the hours and hours and hours of time spent listening to this endless drivel of content, the dollar cost average works out. Next up is the YouTube casualty for $6.66. The YouTube casualty is loaded to the gills. Enjoy the archive ad-free as well as ad-free early access to special docu-style podcast videos, music reaction commentaries, and the like a month before they drop on YouTube, loaded with ads, I might add. You're also going to get exclusive content and behind-the-scenes content that is not available on YouTube or anywhere else. So you get to peek behind the veil. And believe me, there's a couple of choice pieces. Most of all, more than anything, whether you join the Patreon or not, I just want to thank each and every one of you that comes to the channel, that watches all the shows, that leaves comments, that participates... 
that subscribes. That's really the most important thing. This is just trying to find a way to earn a living as an artist. And with that, thank you for my TED Talk. Join the Patreon, because we need you! 66 cents.